Welcome, everybody, to the Be More Bookish podcast. This podcast features chats with all manner of bookish people, from book creators, readers, educators, publishers, and more. Settle in for a good old-fashioned chinwag. About books, of course. So come on, why not be more bookish? Hello, I'm Adrian Beck, an author and also at the helm of BeMoreBookish.com, an independent online bookshop that celebrates all creators, but particularly Australian creators. In this episode, the featured book is The New Middle Grade Adventure and Dromachy Between Worlds, and I talk to the author Gabriel Bergmoser. Gabe is an award-winning Melbourne-based author and playwright whose best-selling works include The Hunted, The Inheritance, and most recently The Caretaker. Horror thriller stuff, I love it. But in this chat, we talk everything from multiverses to his unpredictable writing process to writing strong characters and jumping between genres and more. Don't forget to listen to the end of the episode for the secret code word that gives you a 20% discount on Gabriel Bergmoser's new book, Andromache Between Worlds, when you buy from bemorebookish.com. Today's ep was recorded on Wurundjeri land, and I hope you enjoy the chat. Gabriel Bergmoser, congratulations on Andromache Between Worlds. How awesome is this new middle grade debut from you, sir? Thank you so much. I mean, it's it's so funny because this book is obviously so so wildly different from, I guess, what I'm sort of more well known for, which is, you know, particularly bloody uh, adult, <laughs> adult kind of horror thrillers. So, you know, when you sort of step into a completely different sphere like this one, there's always that like slight biting fear of like, am I, am I completely crazy to be like stepping this far outside of, I guess, what I'm, what I'm good at or what I sort of know I can do. And, you know, you always kind of have this, like, is, is this the moment where your imposter syndrome will really prove itself to not be a syndrome, (laughs) but in fact, just be a fact. Uh, But I mean, you know, the fact that the book's been so well received so far and the fact that, you know, the reviews have been good and there's a lot of enthusiasm for it and everything. It's kind of like another sigh of relief. Ah, they don't realize I'm a fraud just yet. (laughs) So, so we're all just trying to drag it out as long as possible i think <laughs> exactly exactly that is literally the crux of being a writer i think yeah no no it is it is truly a brilliant book it is it's fast paced it's got great characters it's got huge scope and it's it's got that um that fantasy engrossing fantasy that kids love to escape into so we're going to get we're going to get to the bottom of it. And I do want to ask you about writing for different genres as well. So I'll get to that too. But for those who haven't had a chance to check it out, can you tell us a little bit about Andromache in a nutshell? Yeah, for sure. So Andromache Between Worlds, it's a middle grade adventure novel that follows Andromache Peters. She's a very lonely 14 year old who's grown up in the shadow of her parents who are both these world famous adventurers who once saved London from an evil madman. And they've pretty much had like a lifetime supply of like attention and fame and adulation ever since. And Andromache's kind of always felt that she's not ever going to be able to live up to these two. And on top of that, her father went missing when she was just a little kid has been presumed dead ever since. So she's never even really known who it is she's supposed to be living up to, to a certain point. But then she finds out at the very start of this book that her dad is not dead, he's trapped in a parallel universe, and she's the only one who can rescue him, which sends her into this death-defying journey across a multiverse, facing up to other versions of herself in very strange and out-there parallel universes, with the help of a couple of misfits who she slowly becomes friends with, to see if she can save her father and bring him home. 
There's <laughs> so much in it. It's awesome. It's you've packed in just about every every one of my favorite things I could think of. You've thrown into this book. It is so it is so cool. But you did talk about the parallel universes there, which is a huge part of this, obviously. Um, have you been a fan of like the multiverses? Like we've seen the multiverse in the MCU, and uh, you know, to varying degrees of success. <laughs> um, why did you want to delve into multiverses? Did you just sort of feel like the world is ready now for my love of a parallel universe? Look, honestly, I, I think I've always been fascinated by sliding doors kind of ideas, you know, like, like what if at this point in history you turned right instead of left? And then, of course, you know, even going beyond the personal into the more sort of global historical scale, what if at this point in history something had happened differently? What if Alexander the Great continued his conquest? What if ancient Rome never fell? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if dinosaurs didn't die out is the, the classic one, which I definitely play with at some point in this book. <laughs> yes. But, you know, so so I think... I'd always sort of loved the idea of telling a multiverse story that blended the personal with the global, I guess. So it looks at, I suppose, what if in our own lives things have gone differently, but also what if in history things have gone differently so that you can kind of have the, I guess, the more character study element side by side with the more crazy wild, what if this had happened in history type thing. And that idea had been in my head for probably about 10 years or so before I actually wrote it. Like I'd had the idea for a long time and then it just sort of lined up that we've had this weird thing where multiverses just seem to really be in the ether at the moment. And part of that is, you know, the Marvel thing. Part of that is obviously everything everywhere all at once winning best picture. Um, I I do kind of feel like I have to slightly defensively insist that I'd had this idea, you know, a long time before these things all (laughs) became popular and became big. But, and, and then of course there's always a bit of fear because in the lead up to Andromache coming out, there's been quite a bit of backlash towards Marvel and the multiverse thing towards people. Say, or I suppose cases of people saying it's a lazy trope. It's a way that you can bring back dead characters. It's a way that you can sort of like have no real stakes in your story because there's infinite parallel universes. Then why would anything that happens in this one matter? And, you know, as all of these sort of commentary started to emerge around, I guess what's been seen as the decline of the Marvel cinematic universe, I started to get really nervous. I started it freaked to you out, out, man. I can tell. I, you know, if I caught the boat too late, am I, you know, am I that kid who's finally convinced his parents to let him wear the cool clothes that everyone loves only to come to school a week after they've all gone yeah. out of fashion and now they're really, you know, yeah. they're, they're really boring and everyone thinks it's really sad. So yeah. that you know, was I me with happy pants, but that was probably before <laughs> yeah. your time, I think. Okay. Well, there was, there was definitely something when I was a kid that I remember like my parents not letting me have, and then, you know, getting it really late. And then everyone's like, Oh really? We've all moved on to this thing now. So, you know, that, um, that slight glimmer of childhood trauma definitely was still, you know, re-emerging when, when I was like getting ready for Andromache to be released. But then I don't know, at a certain point, you, you always have these insecurities and lead up to any book coming out, right? Where you kind of, it's like leaving the house and realizing you've forgotten something. It's that thing where you go, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And this will trip me up. And this is bad. And this is wrong. And I've done that with every single book I've ever written. But at a certain point, you just kind of have to have faith that you made your choices for the right reasons. And in this case, I think what gave me a bit of security was thinking the multiverse in Andromache, at least to me, I don't think is a gimmick. I think it's very much there to explore her character, her life, her history, what shaped her. And in the end, the story isn't one about multiple different Andromaches. It's one about this one Andromache and her journey to realizing what person she actually is and what person she wants to be in the end. So that's kind of the... That's kind of, I guess, the foundation on which I I feel quite secure that I've built this story on, but it definitely 
was a was sort of a weird coincidence that it happened to finally emerge into the world at a time where multiverses are a very big thing. Mm. But that also could be that could be a good thing. Like the world is ready for this uh, for this sort of. Uh plotline and this concept because multiverses five years ago people might have been thinking hmm that sort of freaks me out a bit <laughs> yeah i mean it, i suppose it, it's a double-edged sword right because on the one hand multiverses five years ago might have seemed more original but on the other hand multiverses nowadays i think people understand them you know like like average audiences in general we've seen so much of them now through marvel and everything all at once and, and various other things that we now sort of are across the basic uh, theories that underpin them. So, so it definitely feels like a safer world for a story like this, for sure. Mm. And I think scientists, uh, you know, they go back and forth a little bit, but um, well, tell me from your perspective, you've done a bit of research about this. Do you actually, are you a believer? Do you think there's another Gabe Bergmoser out there who's like a, a fireman or, or an international <laughs> catwalk model or? <laughs> Oh, well, I mean... Or president yeah. of the United States. I don't know. Do you believe in a multiverse uh, yourself? I mean, I don't know. It's like, it's, it's such a massive question, isn't it? Because it's it's kind of the classic religion thing, isn't it? Where it's like, you know, there's no, there's no proof it doesn't exist, but there's no real proof it does exist. So it ultimately kind of comes down to what you personally feel. I mean, honestly, it's like in, in what is very fitting for the kind of, you know, the fundamental... I guess, idea of multiverse, which is that a new universe is created every time, you know, you flip a coin and in your world, the coin lands heads, but in this new world, the coin lands tails, or, you know, in one world, you just miss a passing bus, in another world, the bus hits you or whatever it is. Like, you know, these, these possibilities, these potential forks in the road are all the foundation for a new universe to be built. And if, if you sort of play with the idea that a multiverse or a new universe stems from potential or from possibility, then I guess in a weird way that kind of aligns with how I feel about it, where I'm like, you know, 50% it could exist, 50% it couldn't exist. We're probably never going to know either way. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't know is the short answer. I wish I had like a more well thought out answer to this, but like, I think it's kind of a Schrodinger's cat thing where, because we don't, because we will never really know the answer. It really could go one way or another, which is very appropriate. Was there a major sliding doors moment in, in Gabriel Bergmoser's life? What, what would oh, you be doing? What would you be doing if you weren't being a writer? Oh, uh, I think, um, man, I think there's been so many, like probably too many to kind of, you know, really account for, like, like moving to different schools as a kid and like kind of discovering new opportunities or meeting new friends or whatever that sort of like always pivot your path just slightly. I, I think that in reality, there are, we all probably have one or two in our lives of those really massive turning points, the impact of which becomes immediately clear. But I think in reality, the moments that sort of, shape our path or shape the directions we go in life tend to be a lot smaller you know it tends to be that person you randomly meet at a party who you get talking to and get on with it tends to be you picking up a flyer for a course or for something that makes you go i want to go and see that it tends to be you seeing a certain movie or reading a certain book that opens your mind to the possibilities of what what the form of fiction can allow for and it's not until years and years later that you realize the worth of that or the or the value of that or the meaning of that i mean like i i, I don't know if other people do this, but I certainly do this. Like I stop and I think, where am I in my life right now? And then I'll backtrack and I'll go through all the decisions or the moments or the key things that led me to this specific point. And it is often quite surprising if you play out that exercise, how seemingly minor the moments that directly led you here were at the time, like how they weren't necessarily things you would have thought would change your life or pivot anything in a really drastic sense. But 
in the grand scheme of things, these little tiny moments ended up being so massive. And I guess that's the whole butterfly effect theory, right? Where it's like yeah. a butterfly on one side of the world flaps its wings and causes a tsunami on the other side of the world. But that whole thing of just like small, tiny, seemingly insignificant decisions or moments or coincidences are the things that create the enormous ripples that will take your life in wildly unexpected directions. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and you mentioned um, meeting someone at a party and it set you on a, on a different track. We, I, we actually met at a party a couple of years ago, I think. And uh, I just read some of your more, as we mentioned before, some of your more bloody thriller sort of books. And you did mention that you were writing a middle grade book, this middle grade book, Andromache. And I thought at the time, I wonder why he's decided to dip his toe into the middle grade space when he's absolutely nailing it with the thrillers and the <laughs> the extreme well i say extreme violence but always you know always happening to very bad people <laughs> so why well, why did you choose i mean you're 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 writing these amazing thrills that everyone loves why did you want to write andromache's story uh, honestly man this is the this is the weird thing and this is the thing that i think people always sort of raise their eyebrows out a little bit when i say it but like when i was first kind of coming up as a writer and when i was first sort of exploring uh what I wanted to do and what I wanted to write, it was never thrillers. It was always middle grade and YA. That was always what I wanted to do when I was younger. You know, when I was first sort of exploring things, the, these were the kinds of stories I wanted to tell. And my problem was that I had very little luck telling these stories. You know, I tried to write sort of, not necessarily in the middle grade sphere, but maybe more in the YA sphere, but definitely stories for younger readers. And everything I wrote just sort of went nowhere. I tried to get it across the line of the publisher or an agent, and there was never that much interest. And in the end, I wrote The Hunted purely to just purely to try something different, you know, purely to be like, all right, well, let me see if, uh, if maybe this sphere is the right one for me. And, you know, I mean, I've always been a fan of pulpy horror and thriller type stories. And, you know, I, I certainly, I certainly don't sort of feel like I've had to compromise. You know, I've, I've loved getting to write those kinds of books and getting to explore that kind of thing. But in a weird way, the opportunity to write Andromache sort of felt like a bit of a return to my creative roots in some ways and mm. a bit of a return to the kind of story I'd sort of, set out wanting to tell and the other thing is there's a there's a weird conception that i think writing middle grade if you're more used to writing adult novels is somewhat limiting but it's really not you know it's it's, it's really liberating and even i was talking to my parents about this the other day because they're listening to the andromache audiobook at the moment and dad just said he goes, it's so funny listening to it because I can just tell that the whole time you were just writing whatever the hell you wanted to write because you just <laughs> would because it's a multiverse. So you're not bound by the rules of reality. I mean, not that The Hunted or The Inheritance particularly followed every rule of total realism at every time. But, um, but you know, with this, it's like you can, you can really go all out with some of the ideas and the visuals and the concepts and the things the characters go up against. And that's just a huge amount of fun. And, you know, I think I've kind of realized now that in the same way that I wouldn't only ever want to write books in the same sphere as The Hunter or The Inheritance, I wouldn't only want to write books in this sphere either. I mean, my ideal career going forward would be to sort of, you know, pivot between them and, and then pivot even into some other genres as well if I'm if I'm able to. But, uh, but yeah, that was one thing I kind of discovered for Andromache was that, like, my passion for this sort of storytelling had gone nowhere, you know? Like, it was, if anything, it was just incredibly refreshing to be able to return to it. Yeah, right. Okay, so... When we say you're writing in all these different formats, because you're also a playwright as well, uh, so you're obviously uh, you can you can do lots of different genres, lots of different formats. Do you approach it sort of in the same way? 
Uh, does it always start in the same way or does it use a different side of your brain or do you use like do you, do you get into a different spot in the house and make sure that the that you've been on a walk with the cavoodles early or something like that like <laughs> how do you approach it differently if at all oh, man, it's, it's yeah it's a great question and I think the answer is probably less definitive in either direction than people might assume it's 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 different but it's not that different I think like if I come into writing for younger readers there's definitely more, like if I'm thinking about for example whether it's Andromache or the True Color Blue White Lie or the Boone Shepherd books you know they all kind of had a similar tone I think in some ways where right from the start it can be a little bit lighter a little bit looser a little bit jokier those books I tend to write in first person whereas my adult books tend to be in third person uh the adult books certainly don't lack for humor or heart or lightness but there's automatically a slightly more controlled, disciplined, darker vibe to the prose mm. right from the start, I think. And yeah. I mean, in writing plays or screenplays, and I haven't written a play or a screenplay in years, uh, I've been so focused on the book stuff, but, you know, I mean, that's a totally different format. But in terms of actually thinking through the ways in which the story unfolds, it, it's, it's not all that different, really. Um, I think in the end, you know, your approach to building character to building structure to building theme that's pretty much the same across all of them I think like I, I don't think there's any way in which I've toned down I suppose my thematic concerns in writing Andromache compared to writing something like The Caretaker I think it's I think I think in terms of the themes it's exploring the ideas it's exploring the arts the characters go on I, I think it's just as it, it's ju it takes them just as seriously as something like The Caretaker does it's just allowed to be a bit more fun in the presentation I think that's probably the only real difference yeah okay Okay. And do you, do you plan it out or you, you just sit down and, and see what comes? Uh, you look, one thing, this is, this is really funny because I think my answer to this question has changed. Like it used to be that I probably sat closer to the, you know, you've got the plot of pants of binary, right? Where it's like you either fly by the seat of your pants or you plot the whole thing meticulously. I, I probably always sat at around 60% towards the plotter end of that spectrum where, you know, I would like to have a rough outline of the whole thing. I'd like to vaguely know where it was ending, but I'd like to have enough room and latitude in there in case the story went in a different direction, in case something surprised me, in case a character came up and swung the story in a completely unexpected direction. Uh, in the case of Andromache, I pretty much planned the whole thing down to a T. And the reason for that is that this was originally supposed to be a trilogy. If if you've read the book, you'll see that there are sort of three major worlds that Andromache goes to on her quest to find her father. And my original conception for this story, which I came up with about a decade ago, was it would be a trilogy of books where each book would explore a different world. And each book would be just set in that world and be Andromache's adventures in that world. But after, you know, some experiences in publishing and some you know, some, some good experiences, some bad experiences, and, you know, the, the tough lessons we all have to learn, which is that mm -hmm. writing one book in a series doesn't mean you're going to get the next one if it doesn't meet the sales yeah. targets. Sometimes sort of even if you've contracted for the next one, it doesn't mean you get the next one. 100%, you know, and I've had that experience as well. You can be contracted for what you think is going to be a sequel, and then the first one doesn't do as well, and they're like, all right, now you're going to have to pivot in a different direction. You know, that, and that's something that we all sort of, you know, face up to at different points. I sort of realized at that point that uh, if I wanted to tell this story the safer thing for me to do was to compress it all into one book, which turned out to be 100% the right choice because it meant that my my sort of roughly sketched out concept for a trilogy became quite a de detailed concept for one fairly small book. And it meant that I sort of knew where it was going to end. And it also meant that 
in Andromache Between Worlds in this one book as it exists, you're not just getting one universe, you're getting several universes and you're jumping between all these different worlds. And so you're kind of getting three books for the price of one sort of to a point but it it didn't mean that i sort of knew what my grand finale was going to be i knew what the big twist was going to be i knew what the big explosive ending was going to be and so in this case it was it was kind of by accident really and just by 10 years of sort of idle playing with ideas it ended up being mapped out quite specifically whereas my next not not my next sort of adult book which would be the hitchhiker which has also come out already on audible but will will be out in print later this year um, my next adult book after that, High Rise, which is out next year, I've just finished writing. And that book, I completely made up as I went along. Hmm. Like, I just sort of, I tried to plan it over and over and over again. I tried to come up with a map for it. And I just couldn't see what the overall shape of the story was. And then finally, one day in this, like, fit of frustration, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to sit down and just write the first chapter and just hope that discovering the voice of this and discovering sort of what the vibe of this is going to be will show me what the next part is. And I wrote that first chapter and it didn't really show me what the next part was, but it did make me think, oh, I kind of want to write the next chapter. And that was just how I progressed. Like I just stumbled through (laughs) chapter by chapter by chapter, like I was walking in the dark with like a torch held just in front of me. So it was like every chapter I finished, I could see just a little bit further ahead. And so I wrote this entire novel with no real plan, no real sense of how it was going to end until I got there. And I've never done that before. I've always been too scared to. I always thought I needed at least kind of some rough map. So kind of my last two major things I've worked on, one was planned very meticulously, one was not planned at all, and both are completely at odds with my sort of like rough plan but allow for some, you know, change along the way, which has been my usual way of doing things. Yeah. (laughs) that's. I mean, it's it's great to mix it up and and it keeps it fresh for you too, I'd imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But it's, you know, it's kind of a little bit terrifying because, you know, it also means that every time you do an interview and somebody asks, what's your process? You're like, I have no idea. I, <laughs> what process? I wish I, I knew. <laughs> I wish I had some solid helpful answer I can give you. But apparently even I don't know what my process is even years <laughs> into doing this. So there you go. Now, you've got Andromache, who is is a very strong character in her own way. And you've got Maggie, who's a strong character in another way. So you, you're, you're very... Uh... You've, you seem to be drawn to writing these strong, complex female characters. Now, do you know why that might be? Uh, is it based on people in your life or anything like that? Or is there something else going on there? Oh, look, I mean, I think that there's always, in every character you write, there's always going to be some influence from people in your life, whether consciously or subconsciously, you know, people, uh, elements of people who you've known or who have influenced you will always seep into your writing in one way or another. I don't think there's, there's any escaping that. But, you know, it's funny because... I get asked this question a lot, I guess, purely because, you know, I've had Maggie in the Hunted books. I've Mm. had uh, Charlotte in The Caretaker and now Andromache in Andromache. But the other thing is, you know, I mean, I've sort of written just as many male protagonists. Like if you look at Nelson, True Colour of Little White Lie, if you look at Jack Carlin and The Consequence on Audible, and he'll be the protagonist in High Rise next year as well, uh, Boone Shepard and the Boone Shepard books. It's just that generally speaking my books that focus on female characters tend to do better uh seems to be like a weird thing that i've um i've discovered and stumbled on but no i mean look i don't know i like i like to mix it up i like to try different things but i i I don't really think that much about sort of the reasoning for writing female protagonists i just I just think I have this fear of writing the same character over and over again. So I do try to just kind of mix it up, whether it's a mix of genders or a mix of personalities or whether it's like first person versus third person, whether it's somebody who's like very taciturn and serious like Maggie or somebody who's a bit more insecure and bumbling like Andromache. I just basically want to make sure that none of my characters 
are just sort of the same person with a different mm. name over and over again. Well, I think you've nailed that, that's for sure. And and your secondary characters are always, uh, always a lot of fun. I mean, Riley's no, <laughs> Riley's no exception <laughs> to that. I, I feel like, tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you really love writing Riley. Oh my God, dude, you know, you know those characters you get sometimes who just sort of, and I know I've said this before and I'm probably, I'm repeating myself, but I think it worth it, it's worth stating again because it's so true here. But you know those characters where you don't ever have to think about what they're going to say because they're already saying it? Like, like that was Riley. And those characters who you, you're lucky when you find them because you don't always find them. But when they come into a story, they just write themselves. They're just already there. And, you know, the moment I wrote the first scene with Riley, sort of where her and Andromache are both eating early in the breakfast hall at the school because they don't really want to talk to anyone else, and they sort of have this conversation. And the moment Riley opened her mouth, like, I had no... I had no, I knew that Andromache would need some kind of sidekick on, in this story, but I didn't really have any fleshed-out concept of who that person would be. But the moment Riley started talking, I was just like, oh, I know exactly who you are. Like, I know exactly <laughs> who you are. And just sort of... You know, for, for all the fun that this book has, it delves into some pretty dark themes. You know, it delves into themes of legacy, themes of moral ambiguity. It delves into themes of what if our parents never wanted us? What if things have gone differently in our lives? We've been as good a person as we are now. Are we as good a person as we think we are now? What if the people we've always looked up to aren't as great as we've always thought they were? You know, there, there's a lot of heavy stuff going on despite the dinosaurs and the evil pharaohs and the pirates and the, you know, giant <laughs> crabs and whatever. Yep. <laughs> but but having, having Riley in there, this character who is this extremely intelligent Irish science nerd who has no filter, no demons, no interest in being anything other than precisely herself, who <laughs> finds just about everybody in her life around her to be extremely boring and finds anything dangerous or edgy or that blows up to be extraordinarily delightful. The person who's like screaming with delight while everybody else is screaming with fear while they're being chased by a T-Rex. You know, this character as this kind of constant almost like needle puncturing the balloons of like seriousness or yeah. of angst or turmoil or whatever the other characters are going through it was just so refreshing. And there was, there's even a point sort of in the middle of the book where I had to kind of remove her from the story for a while because the risk of her taking it over was just too strong. <laughs> so, you know, with characters like this, you do have to use them not sparingly, but, but maybe somewhat judiciously, I suppose. But I mean, Riley was just a top to bottom delight to write. And I just, I, you know, I'd love to revisit her and love to bring her back for another story at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So we talked about parallel universes. You're kind of living in two parallel universes because you're, you've got your adult hat on you've got your now you've got your middle grade hat on as well uh and then when you're doing the adults uh, tours there's a lot of libraries there's a lot of in conversations and a lot of uh you know everyone taking themselves rather seriously etc um but with the kids side of things you get to go to festivals you get to go to schools you get to stand up in halls and get all these kids that are so excited to talk to you about what they thought of the book and their favorite character and their favorite moment have you done much about, because I know you've done a little bit of YA, so have you done much of that before or are you about just about ready to charge straight into that full throttle? Well, I mean, it's going to be interesting because in the past I've done a lot of school talks, but they've all been sort of YA adjacent. You know, they've, they've all been connected to to either the Boone Shepherd books or to the True Colour of Little White Lie. So mm. this will be the first time I'm really going to be hitting sort of the the primary school circuit and, you know, talk about middle grades, talk about these books for younger readers. So it's going to be a very new experience for me. Like, it's I'm, I'm, so different because yeah. with, <laughs> with, the, with the high school kids, 
they don't want to be involved, you know, yeah. by and large. They'll do anything not to be involved. With the primary school kids, they'll do anything to be involved. It's like completely the opposite. Um, see, I'm so looking forward to that because, I mean, you know, sometimes, as you know yourself, it's like sometimes you go to a high school and and it's like, I mean, the good thing is, you know, a lot of what I do is just kind of the presentation stuff. Like I do workshops as well, but I mainly do the presentation stuff. And um, and the presentation stuff, you know, it's it's a bit less like pulling teeth, but you know, there's always, particularly if it's the year nine boys, there's always some really, really funny guy who needs everybody to know just how funny he is. <laughs> and you know, that, that stuff's just like, you know, that stuff's kind of very difficult. Oh, not, not difficult is the wrong word for it because it's always a privilege to get to talk about your books. And it's always, you know, there's always at least some people in the audience who are really appreciative. Um, the only funny thing is that like, whenever I talk at high schools, I'm in theory there to talk about true color and Everybody who's read my books only wants to talk about Hunted. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, you sort of have this, like, slightly kind of like, oh, yeah, I guess I'm talking to all these teenagers about decapitations and scalpings and all of, all of that stuff as opposed to teen angst and learning how to talk to girls and all of that. But, um, but no, I'm, like, I'm really I've, – I've done – one or two primary school talks in the past and way less than I've done high school talks. And I'm really kind of looking forward to doing more of that because, because yeah, like so far that has been my experience, like just, just way more engaged and, you know, wanting to do workshops and everything and have fun with it and sort of, you know, less self-consciousness, I guess. And, and yeah, like that's the thing it's, you know, the book's been out and I've been going around doing these drop-in signings and we had the book launch, but I haven't, I haven't sort of yet had the chance to kind of, you know, get up and really, you know, really get up like in front of kids and just, and talk about Andromache yet. So I'm kind of like, you know, like, it's funny. I, I feel like I talk about this a lot, but there's a lot of authors I know who talk about how they can't stand interviews. You know, they can't stand live events or in conversations or whatever. And I've never understood that because I kind of go, well, to me, I spend most of the year locked away alone with the book. And this is my chance to actually talk about it and to get out there and like, discuss it with readers and with an audience and doing so is kind of never less than incredibly energizing. Like, mm. you know, I sort of always walk out a little bit tired, sure, but I walk out just kind of buzzing because, you know, sort of getting to be in conversation with people who really like your work, it's sort of, you know, you realize that you're not just kind of writing into a void and I'm so looking forward to it. I can't <laughs> wait. Okay. Well, um, I want to ask the obvious question now to finish up, and that is, uh, what's next? Have we got uh, Andromache, you know, the next uh, 20 editions, animal style, or, uh, or uh, obviously we've got High Rise, but what's in the future, Gabriel? So, um, so in April coming up, I've got a new Audible original out. So I've got uh, The Lodger, which is the sequel to The Hitchhiker, um, which will be... Yeah, that, that'll be an audio exclusive again for now, but I'm really looking forward to that. That's, uh, I think it's a lot of fun. It's probably more of a dark comedy than I think people might be expecting, but it picks up with a hitchhiker left off. It continues that story. Um, Maggie's back in it. Jack Carlin's back in it. So I'm getting the whole band together. So, you know, <laughs> it's kind of, I'm having a lot of fun with just sort of, you know, playing with pretty much all of my characters. Uh, yeah. Then I've got at some point this year, I think still, I've got the Lecter Variations, my non-fiction oh, yes. book about the Hannibal franchise. Which and now is that done? It's done. It's done. It's delivered. And I've kind of heard nothing. So I'm really hoping the publisher doesn't hate it. So um, <laughs> um, last I heard, they were looking at like a mid-year release. It's, it's a it's a very small print sort of niche film and TV publisher in in the US. So I don't I don't really know. I, I guess I'll probably know when it's on shelves probably at this point. But, um, but this I mean, is that your was non-fiction like, uh, Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, um, kind of like a history of the entire yes. Hannibal Lecter franchise, which was a lot of fun. Then uh, Hitchhiker will get its print release in August. And then... Next year, 
next year high rise mentioned before will be out and then I'm sort of beginning to do some work on Andromache 2. I'm I'm Ooh, sort of leery exclusive. to go too far down that route until I sort of know for sure that, you know, there'll be a second one or that there's demand for a second one. But I guess I, I feel positively about it based on the response the book's been getting, uh, based on sort of a few early signs. Um, there's not enough yet for me to say it's an absolute sure thing, but I sort of, I know what the second book would be and I know vaguely what the third book would be. I think I, as much as I would love to do sort of, you know, an Animorphs 62 books plus <laughs> spin-offs kind of thing, I think at this stage my instinct is it's probably a trilogy, but I mean, you know, as as we sort of know, it's so dictated by the market, right? You know, it's so dictated by what people want and what people respond to. So I'm just going to kind of play by ear a little bit, and if the call comes for a number two, then I'll hit the ground running tomorrow. Absolutely, yes. I reckon there's a very good chance because, as we've discussed, it's a fantastic – we're calling it a middle-grade debut. It seems strange to be saying that Gabriel Bergmos has got a debut when he's got, like, how many, how many books <laughs> yeah. have you got up your sleeve already? Like 20 or something? Oh, there's a few, yeah. 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 Anyway, we're calling it a middle-grade debut. It's Andromache Between Worlds. It's an absolute belter of a book. Uh, to use some Aussie vernacular. Yeah, kids are going to really love it. So congratulations, Gabriel. Bergmosa on Andromache Between Worlds. Thanks so much, Adrian. A huge thanks to Gabe for joining me. And if you'd like your own copy of Andromache Between Worlds, it's available now at bemorebookish.com and you can get a 20% discount with the code word CRAB which is something Andromache encounters supersized in one of her trips through the multiverse. That's crab. Thanks for listening, and I hope you're doing your very best to be more bookish. <laughs>